Coming up on this episode, N.R. Walker joins us to talk about her newest book, Bossy. Welcome to episode 296 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Jeff Adams, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, Rainbow Romance readers. Before we get into the interview this week, we want to congratulate the finalists for the 33rd Annual Lambda Literary Awards in the Gay Romance category. Those are Finding Joy by Adriana Herrera, Flower of Iowa by Lance Ringel, The Ghost and Charlie Muir by Felice Stevens, Ink and Ice by Aaron Colleen McRae and Racheline Maltese, and Two Rogues Make a Right by Kat Sebastian. Now, if you'd like to hear more about some of these books, we've had some of those authors as guests on the show. Adriana Herrera talked about finding joy during our June 2020 Pride Festival. She appeared in episode three from that special series. You could also hear from Kat Sebastian back in episode 92. Now, we also want to give a shout out to Elsie Rosen. He joined us in episode 251 to talk about the book Camp, which is a finalist in the LGBTQ young adult category. We'll have a link to all of the Lammy nominees in the show notes, and those awards are going to be taking place on June 1st. So congratulations to everybody who picked up a finalist nomination this week, and we look forward to seeing who the winners are in just a couple of months. Yes, well-deserved kudos to everyone in each of the individual categories. I had such an amazing time talking to N.R. Walker, especially talking right after we had finished reading Throwing Hearts and recording our book club episode for that. Of course, we're going to talk about that book, but... She's also got the brand new book, Bossy, which has already topped the Amazon gay romance bestseller charts. It certainly looks at one of our favorite scenarios, which is going from hookup to, holy crap, now we're working together. (laughs) So it was fun to talk to her about that book as well. So let's get into that interview now. NR, welcome to the show. It is so awesome to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. We have so much to talk about, not the least of which is the Big Gay Fiction Book Club selection for this month, but we'll get to Throwing Hearts a little later. I want to kick off with what you released earlier this month, which is Bossy. Yes. Tell us all about Michael and Bryson. Okay. They are a fun couple. (laughs) It started out as a friend with benefits, a, a casual encounter no names, no details, no complications, which of course we all know how that generally ends, usually very complicated. So it was, look, it was a fun story. They were good characters to write. Yeah, I just enjoyed doing the less heavier, more fun romance than, yeah. So no, it was just good to to do something without a great deal of research and a great deal of, you know, without getting bogged down in, into details. It was just fun. And, and fun is good these days. We oh, all yeah. need a little lightness. I think we do. <laughs> and and not only to read, but also to write. The world is so crazy right now and it's really quite, I don't want to say depressing, but it's, it's, it's quite, everything's kind of closed off right now. So it's just good to, to read and write something that's not so, that doesn't draw you down or bog you down too much. I really like a line that you've got in the blurb. It's actually the last line in the blurb that to me just sets up the whole story. Michael and Brian need to decide just how complicated they want to get. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they do need to decide exactly how complicated things need to get or how, well, how complicated they want things to get. So, yeah, 
it was good. They know nothing about each other. They don't even know names. They don't. Uh, they don't even learn their first names until about maybe halfway through the book. So, <laughs> so yes. But by then, they are quite enamoured with each other, and yeah, quite. It it was just fun. It was a bit of a a leap from reality. Really, it does get complicated when their professional lives collide <laughs> yes and and yeah they find out names and histories and and everything all in one go i always love those stories where and in this case they were together for a little bit before this happened but that i've had this hookup i've had this connection but i left it to the side and then boom they're in my workplace <laughs> yeah. yes Yes, literally, literally that's what happens. He walks in and he's meeting a a client that's not his client. The person who was supposed to be meeting him was stuck in traffic. So he's walked in and it's, I know you, <laughs> kind of situation. And not just so, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, it was good. It was a lot of fun to write. They were good characters. What were your inspiration for these two, for Michael and for, for Bryson? Um, oh, I don't know. A lot of people always ask me about inspiration and I always find it a little bit difficult. I don't know. I always just get characters that speak to me or that that just kind of form in my head. And Michael spoke to me first and I just always pictured this blonde, very sleek, very polished character. And he was, he, didn't, he wasn't cold, but he was just very, no, I don't have time for anything complicated. And then there was Bryson who was laid back. He wears the shirts with the, the vintage band shirts and the expensive boots. He's the one with all the money. I don't know. The characters come to me first. It's not really any inspiration for them. Just the voice that started to speak to me. Michael spoke to me first. Mm -hmm. In that situation, do you have to wait for Michael's companion to come along or do they usually come along in pairs as you discover and these characters? Sometimes, sometimes, and, and this is probably going to sound funny, if they come to me, if, if they come to me in pairs like you suggest, it's generally going to be a dual point of view. If they come to me and it's just one, it's normally just a single point of view. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's funny that you say that, but that's generally how they come to me. I like so, yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense that you would do dual point of view in yeah. those instances. And um, I've never thought about it like that, but that is that is generally what happens. It's a dual point of view if they both talk, but generally yeah, I think I think a lot of my earlier books was just a, a single point of view, but then other characters would come in and I, I would write them through the main character's eyes, of course. But then sometimes the second main character is just as chatty, so he will get his own point of view. Yeah. Do you have a preference over single or double as you go or no. is it truly just how the story plays out? I don't really get a say in it, to be honest, <laughs> which is sounds really weird, but I just, yeah, I, I don't really have a say. What I struggle the most with is, is probably first person to third person. Most of my stories are first person, but there have been some which are third person because I know that there will be scenes or aspects of the story that has to be told from an outside point of view. 
like from a perspective not from the main characters. So so I've done a few that are third-person perspective, but generally it's more first-person that I write. So some I've actually started to write in first-person and I get no more than half of the first chapter before I realised that it's wrong and it needed to be in third-person because I knew something later was going to happen that mm-hmm. he couldn't, it was going to happen to him probably so we couldn't see it from his point of view if that makes sense it does and at least you figured it out early i've had books where i'm like a third of the way in and realize i need that point of view change and then that's just hurtful at that point (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) it is hurtful it sounds like you're very much a discovery writer pantsing your way along do you usually have an endpoint in mind early on in the book that you're headed towards? That's the only thing that I have. I generally have the final scene or the what I call the destination, and then I start at chapter one and start writing. I have a few points of what I would call like milestones or plot points that I know need to happen, but I don't plan anything else. I don't outline. I don't do anything like that. But I know the destination. How they get there is what they tell me as I'm writing. It's good that you start with the destination. I've done the ones where I don't know where they're going. I've got Mm -hmm. an idea of a plot and the characters. Usually I get there. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. (laughs) Like, where are you going? (laughs) And I I have written a, well, I guess a crime thriller. It's called Tallywood. Anyway, because I... Because I am a pantser and I do not outline or plot, I realise that that's really rather difficult <laughs> to to write crime, mystery, thrillers without having the intricate details outlined. <laughs> so, so yes, it doesn't always. It isn't always a, a good thing, I guess. But but I've I've never been able to outline or plan or anything. I just I know where I need to end up. And or where the characters, I know the final scenes. And sometimes I will actually write that first. I will just, just a few, mostly just a conversation or just the end destination, a few lines. But then I always go back to chapter one and just start. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I know other mystery writers and thriller writers who go the pantsing route. And then they talk about having a lot to clean up in the edit because then you've got to <laughs> make sure that mystery holds together. <laughs> Yes, all of these thread points that you need to pull together to make the whole fabric come together. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, yeah, it it was rather difficult. <laughs> and it kind of broke my brain for a while afterwards, oh, I no. think. <laughs> I, I needed to, to just write something that was just completely carefree and, and fun after that. Which, of course, makes a lot of sense. You, you think you'll ever go back to that genre and, and give it another um, go or...? Oh, I love it. I love reading it and I love, I loved writing it, but oh, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot. And I honestly take my hat off to people who, who write it consistently and particularly if they don't do outlines. (laughs) For sure. It was a tough one. I was noticing your covers and, and you talking about bossy just now made me think of this because you talk about how, you know, how Michael is very slick and mm-hmm. presents in just the right way. And I see that here so much with the cover too. It yeah. gives that vibe. Yeah. 
And then I look at something else like throwing hearts. And then there again, you really hit the vibe of the pottery studio and the more easygoing nature of that book. Yeah. You must put a lot of work into these covers to hit that because <laughs> they don't all necessarily say this is an N.R. Walker book, but it really conveys the essence of the story in some ways. Yeah. And, and look, honestly, sometimes I will have a cover for a long time before I write the book. So it allows me to really integrate that image into the story. So with the cover of Throwing Hearts, I had that image. And so it allowed me really to write Merrick into the book from the cover. And same with the bossy cover. I found that. And so he was just that that sleek, well-presented, kind of carefree, I don't know really quite how to explain that very well, but but so I had the cover before I started to write the book, and I do with a lot of mine. For me, I don't know, cements how the story is told, I guess. I take a fair bit of inspiration maybe from from the covers that I that I do. I make a lot of my own covers. I have some help, <laughs> but but a lot of them that I, I actually just make myself, like the Throwing Hearts cover, that was I did that one. Very basic, but fun and yeah portrayed what the story was going to be I hope that the covers show the reader pretty much what the book is going to be like before they read the blurb or before they get to page one yeah there's a lot of tone conveyed in the covers at least for me for sure do you buy the images first before the characters yeah. talk to you and then maybe that helps the characters or um, characters and then cover? Or... Sometimes if I'm one of my worst procrastination <laughs> tools is searching for cover images or looking at pre-made cover sites. If I just need to not write for a little bit or if I just need to spend two hours doing something completely mind-numbing, I will just scroll the internet and look for cover images or pre-made cover sites and that type of thing. Yeah. And so, and sometimes I've bought a cover that will literally sit on my computer for two or three years before, because I've seen the cover and I just think, oh my God, I love it. And then they will start to talk to me however, however long later. So that actually happened with the Imago cover. The very first Imago book was the orange butterfly as the bow tie. And I found that as a pre-made cover. She does a lot of MM covers. It's Lou Harper. And I found it and it, I just had to have it. I loved it. And I had no idea for a story. I had nothing. And then about two years later, I was actually on a plane in America, I think, and I was just writing down a few plot points or whatever. And an idea came to me about a butterfly. And I thought, oh, I've got a cover for that. And so that's how that came to me so I had the cover for a long time I don't know whether something in the back of my mind just just ticks over or I'm not sure but yeah so the covers I tend to have a lot of my covers long before I write the book which allows me to kind of get the tone right it would be interesting to do a survey of authors how many covers we all have sitting around waiting between either pre-mades or single images that we've bought because I know we've got a easily like 20 covers sitting around waiting for an inspiration to hit yeah. because they look so good yeah 
I literally would probably have hundreds and I've spent a fortune. <laughs> but one day I'll probably get to them. But then I, I tend to, yeah, sometimes I make my own or I will have a general idea of what I want and I will put together a mock cover, but I just can't, can't get it quite right. So then I will send it to a cover artist and say, this is what I'm thinking, but I can't, I can't nail it. And, mm. and they make it pretty. <laughs> yeah. Now you mentioned Imago. Yes. And you actually came back to that series for the first time since 2017. I did. With a I short did. you released earlier this year. What brought you back? Oh, it was funny. It, there was a big promotional thing that was going on for the winter a winter wonderland thing and my friend was going in it and and I thought oh maybe I should do that too and and I said but I've got no idea what I would write about we're in the middle of summer so <laughs> she said something about oh maybe you should revisit a character or whatever and and I again with the butterflies I was like oh well a winter butterfly there's really no such thing as a winter butterfly they they tend to hibernate or they're not too common so I wondered how that would work but anyway long story short <laughs> it didn't really apply to the promotion that was to the guidelines or whatever and that was my fault I didn't read them properly <laughs> so, <laughs> such a so rule breaker thought, you are <laughs> I know and I thought oh well, anyway so that was completely my fault but I just thought what can I do with it I'll just release it for 99 cents and put it out in the world and yeah so it just kind of came to me really in it was a fleeting conversation with a friend of mine who just happened to mention something about oh is there like a winter butterfly or something and and then that was it it just kind of kind of sparked and I went oh that would be interesting and yeah that's so that's how that came about and for people who may not know that series, because it is one of the older ones, tell us a little bit about Imago. Jack and Lawson, <laughs> they live in Tasmania, which is right down south of, of Australia. It's a little island off, off the south of Australia. And it it's quite cold <laughs> down there generally. And anyway, one is a butterfly specialist. And so Lawson, he's... He's very smart. Sometimes he's too smart for his own good. And then there's Jack, who is the like a park ranger, and that is how how they meet. Lawson is out on a field expedition to find a butterfly that is does not it's not supposed to exist. So and Jack goes with him. Yeah. So yeah, lovely story to write. Just another one of those decent guys doing ordinary things, and yeah, nice guys. Yeah. And I imagine a good amount of butterfly research, perhaps. Oh, yes. <laughs> I actually went into writing that thinking, oh, I need to write a story with minimal research. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then literally two hours later, I think I was researching soil acidity for ants or something. I was <laughs> like, okay, okay. So always research, always. No matter what book I write, I have to research something. How do you fit that into the the pantsing style that you've got? Do you leave yourself blanks to fill in later or do you uh, pause to get the research? Yeah, sometimes I I will leave a section in the manuscript that this needs some research. But generally I will 
just start searching things on the internet and four hours later I have <laughs> sections of, of information that sometimes don't even end up in a manuscript. Sometimes it's more for the character to understand the character, I guess, as to why they do what they do. If if a butterfly specialist is going to be talking to someone about his field of expertise, then, then I need to know to make him more three-dimensional. There's There has to be some depth to why he does what he does. So there's a lot of the research that doesn't end up on paper, but it hopefully it shows through the character in, in as a whole, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm, a lot of research, usually. <laughs> so you mentioned nice guys doing nice things, and that's yes. a great segue over to Throwing Hearts. Like I mentioned, that's our book club pick for March. This book delighted Will and I so, so much. Oh my goodness. You mentioned a little bit that Merrick kind of got more fully formed because of that cover. What yes. can you tell us about where Leo <laughs> and Merrick sprang from for you? Well, I don't know. I'd been watching the Pottery Throwdown. That there's, there's a show called oh, Pottery yes. Throwdown. <laughs> and, I, and I love that. But there's a lot of pottery making on Instagram and Twitter and all of, you know, social media. And just watching them, it's such a... It's just such a physical, I guess, sensual art form. It's very tactile and it's very hands-on. So, yeah, I don't know. There was no, there was no like, moment. It was just, oh, that would be fun. And it was actually Leo that spoke to me first. And he was just bright and bubbly and, and looking for something but didn't really know what he was looking for. And, of course, he was helping Clyde. <laughs> Through, through the out, outreach program of, of older gay men with trying to keep them involved. There is actually a program like that in Sydney. So I did kind of use that as a, as a foundation of, of how we would meet Leo in particular and Clyde. Yeah, and then, and then we met Merrick through his art studio. And they're such a lovely couple. I mean... They talk a lot, and I love characters that talk and put their feelings on the table and everything. And, yeah, the pottery stuff, it just all wove together in such a nice tapestry of good feels all the way around. And I love that it was Pottery Throwdown that gave you the inspiration because Pottery <laughs> Throwdown is why we wanted to read that book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, cause I think the new season's just started, hasn't it? I haven't, I haven't caught up on that yet. But, it's not um, over here yet at all. We keep seeing Facebook stuff from oh, the UK really? about season yeah. four. And yes. it's like, hurry up and get it over here. I do love that. And I do love that it's very, yeah, it's a very, it's a very, tactile personal thing I mean all art is I guess but but yes seeing them do that is it was just a lot of fun and yeah again with the decent guys nice characters who deserve good things mm -hmm. doesn't always have to be about angst and drama and sometimes it can just be fun and that's still valid storytelling it's still books and, and romance novels don't need to have heartbreak to be a valid romance story or sometimes there's the conflict that has to happen <laughs> it's not defining as so much it's more building I guess and yeah so with characters like Leo and, and Merrick it was just good to give them a happy ever after 
that was, yeah, good. And I think more so with them, the the conflict or the the what happened to make them become closer together really was Clyde and Donnie and seeing their conflict and their inner struggle, kind of. <laughs> but then knowing that Clyde and Donnie were kind of seeing each other, it just it also made Leo and Merrick realise that it doesn't need to be complicated. Sometimes mm-hmm. things can just be good and easy and it's only as complicated as you make it, really. Some of their complications, I really enjoyed watching them sort out because most of their conflict was centered around consent a lot of times and what Mm. one wanted versus the other and going slow. And I really liked how you worked with consent here because it is such an important factor how fast each wants to go. And the way it was laid out, I thought was really unique for romance to see so much talk of consent. I, I really thought it was kind of refreshing up in and amongst this really light book. Yeah, yeah. And and saying what you want and but also what you need and what is good for you as a person and not what trying to please the other person because you don't want them to leave you type thing. I think that's knowing what you want and what you're worth is is an important thing to to put down on the table when you're with someone who you think could be the real deal for you. So, yeah, so that was, yeah, that was good. And then, of course, Clyde and Donnie. You gave us (laughs) two romances for the price of one in here for the most part. Yes, I know. And and Clyde and Donnie, I mean, we don't see those stories a lot. They're both in late 60s, early 70s for both of them. Donnie has been very closeted his entire life, and Clyde draws him out. It was just the most beautiful thing. Where did those two come from? I think you said Clyde spoke to you first kind of in that situation. Yes, yes. Uh, Clyde was always there. Clyde was, he was just, he was with Leo from the very beginning, and he was just this grumpy, gruff, cranky old man. who was just the biggest, softest bear that, that Leo just adored and his gruffness was part of his charm. So so getting him out of the house, even though he complained and grumbled the entire time, was a real, I mean, Leo just adores him. So Clyde was always there. I had no idea that Donnie was going to be in the book <laughs> or that, that Donnie even existed until we walked into the art studio and there he was, and and Clyde was just literally speechless when he first saw him, and I just thought that that was lovely, and it was good to to while Leo and Merrick were over here having their do we don't we how do we make this work? Clyde and Donnie were just like you know what we're just life's too short, so. It was good to have that two contrasting perspectives, I guess. That, yeah, Clyde and Donnie were just, I just loved them. And it also kind of kicked Leo and Merrick along to see that life's too short kind of thing. Yeah. And to know that Donnie lost a lot of his life being closeted. So yeah. they might as well go for it. It was, it was such a good message all around just to add to that feel-good value of the book again. Yes. Yeah. No, it was good. And so, yeah, they completely took me by surprise, Clyde. I'm so glad they did. 
<laughs> Clyde and Donnie. I had no idea when I started that that they would be a secondary romance in in the book. So and it was good and and the the end scene. I don't know whether I should give spoilers. Well, we'll but, be spoiling it in the book club episode. So you can either spoil <laughs> it now or we'll spoil it then. But to set up to set up that wedding scene, I really wanted to have them being at the church and being really nervous. But it wasn't it wasn't Leo and Merrick's wedding. So to me, that was yeah. I just I loved that part as well. I, I was delighted to see that wedding that happened as opposed to Leo and yes. Eric's. Yes, it yes. Just, it just all the more satisfying. <laughs> it was <laughs> for me too. the day for me anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I really hope Clyde and Donnie infiltrate your brain again because I would love at some point to see almost their timeline of the same story to know some of the other stuff that was going on. We get some really awesome peaks inside Throwing Hearts. But to yeah. see more of that for them. So mm. I have a little campaign here that I want them to talk more to you. <laughs> well, if they start to talk, I will definitely listen. But yeah, they no, they never spoke to me like like main characters. So fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> yes, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So let's let's go back in your history a little bit. What mm-hmm. got you started writing? Oh, fan fiction. <laughs> I started reading fan fiction about 12 years ago and it was like it was twilight fan fiction and there were scenes in in the books that that I didn't really like or agree with or that I thought were missing and and I actually started to write I actually wrote one short it was about 10,000 words before I even knew what fan fiction was and I'd never written anything before outside of high school and I just wanted to write this scene because it wasn't in the books and I wanted to to see it, I guess. So I wrote that and then I found fan fiction and I read and I read hundreds of thousands of words, millions of words I probably read in about two years. And then I remembered this little piece of writing that I had done and I thought, oh, I could upload that. So without knowing what I was doing or without, no one had read it, no one had edited it, no one had even looked at it, but they're stupid me uploaded it into this fan fiction site and a lot of people read it and a lot of people really liked it and so then I wrote some more and and I just kept writing and then a lot of people kept saying to me you should write original fiction but it never it never really occurred to me to I was happy doing what I was doing and it was fun and and I never wanted to write but then I had two characters come into my head (laughs) that had nothing to do with fan fiction and I thought oh so that was actually the story point of no return my breaking point story um, of Matt and Kira was the very first thing that I wrote yeah so that was my first foray into writing original fiction of characters that didn't belong to somebody else So, yeah, so I got into writing through fan fiction, really, by reading it to begin with. That's awesome. Is your work still up there somewhere? No, I took it all down. Took it all down. (laughs) Oh, I'd be be mortified if someone read that now. (laughs) I'd be horrified. I'd be horrified. What were the fandoms you wrote in? 
I have written in Twilight. I have written in Spartacus. And that's about it. That's all that I've written in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I have read an awful lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What drew you to writing MM romance and MM pairings? Again, it was through fan fiction. Someone sent me a link. I was quite involved in in the fan fiction fandom, I guess, for the want of a better word. And someone sent me a link to a story. It was called In the Deep End, I think. This is literally 12 years ago, saying, you need to read this. You, You absolutely have to read this. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I read it. And it was an MM pairing. And I literally never went back to reading MF fan fiction after that. It just was just a whole new concept for me. I don't know what drew me into it so much. I think it was more of an equal footing, the characters, I think. There's more of a, there's no damsel in distress or there's no no one really needed saving, I guess. But, yeah, so that's how I got into MM long before I started writing I was reading M.M. Pairings, yeah. Who are some authors that inspire the kinds of stories you tell? Oh, wow. I don't really know. <laughs> There's, I, I get inspiration from, from a lot of things, but I think what inspires me most from different authors is just authenticity, I guess. If there's... If there's a genuineness, I guess, to the story or an originality or something that's different or something, that's what draws me and that's what inspires me. I, I don't want to say write from the heart because everybody writes from the heart, but but just that, that connection, mm-hmm. I think that's what inspires me the most. It's not really one or any authors in particular. I have quite a few favourites. I just think if, if it's just, yeah, something about a connection, I think that, that's what inspires me more, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you have favorite themes or tropes that you tend to like to work with? To read, I absolutely love <laughs> sci-fi, paranormal, thrillers. That's what I would read all day long. Fantasy, oh, love it. But to write, <laughs> I at, look, I've written nearly kind of every genre that, or subgenre that you can probably imagine and and I do love writing fantasy my Cronin's key series and my book Lacuna are some of my proudest work but again because I don't plot or outline or, or anything there's so much world building that that is that needs to be done properly and thoroughly and for someone who is a pantser like myself that can get a little bit it breaks my brain is how I like sure. to say it. So so then I would generally spring back to something contemporary that is just fun, like throwing hearts, like bossy, like upside down, things like that that are just fun, contemporary, cute romance, good guys doing good things is, is generally what I come back to mm-hmm. um, after I've written something heavier. And I would say good guys doing good things is probably one of your trademarks. Uh, yeah, it probably is. Do you just, have other ones in there too that you consistently just story after story put in? I don't know. You'd probably have to ask my readers that. <laughs> I know I know someone someone on Twitter not too long ago said, Oh my god, what's an NR Walker book when they wear jeans with bare feet? <laughs> 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 I went, oh yes. <laughs> Well, 
that's, that's an great. interesting trademark to have in there. <laughs> you do. And they swear a lot and they generally drink a lot of coffee. So that's just that's just the author coming through there. You mentioned that you've really written across so many genres. Mm-hmm. Is there one out there that you still want to do that you haven't taken the leap on yet? Um, I don't know. I've done, I have one sci-fi that I have written, but I have one that I would also like to write. And it is, <laughs> it's going to be in space on, on a different planet or I don't really know. I haven't, I haven't really got much further than that. But, but that is something that I would like to write maybe later this year or even next year, but it's definitely, it's definitely going to happen. But that's kind of really about it. There are some that I just couldn't write because I don't know enough about. I think like a book about American football, I would have no clue. I, I, I barely understand Australian football or even hockey, ice hockey. I love it and I love watching it and I love reading books about ice hockey, but I could never write it because I just don't, I, I didn't grow up in that or I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't not research that authentically enough, I don't think. Particularly those two because people who do know and understand and live that football, ice hockey, they would be able to spot me a mile off that I've never done that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I want to give you somehow a deep dive education on hockey because I would love to read an N.R. Walker <laughs> hockey book. <laughs> I know, and I love ice hockey. I've I've seen two live ice hockey games when I was in America and love it, and I, I love reading ice hockey romance books, but... but oh. <laughs> I just don't think I could do it justice. Mm -hmm. What's something you've read recently that you would recommend to our listeners? I'm halfway through Alice Winter's Hitman, Hitman's Bodyguard. Yeah, the um, Hitman series. Those are good. The Hitman series. The second one, How to Survive Through Past Mistakes. Oh, I can't. Sorry, Alice Winter's. I can't remember the title. The second one. So I'm actually listening to them on, on audiobook. I prefer audios. I get more reading done, I guess, and it saves my eyesight and my hands. After I've looked at screens and typed all day long, audiobooks just give me a bit of a break. Yeah, we feel the same way. We do a good portion of our reading on audio these days. Yeah, and I love it. I just I just love it. So, yes, the Alice Winters Hitman series, absolutely love it. I've got the third one ready to go. So I just I do love them, Jackson and Leland. Uh, the two main characters, uh, and her sense of humour is just incredible. Love them. So another series that I've just not long finished reading is the Nevernight series by Jay Kristoff. It's a fantasy series, I should say, where just don't get too attached to a lot of the characters is probably the best way to say that. <laughs> but it's it's amazing and it's I read books like that that are like Games of Thrones or the Nevernight series or and it just makes me feel like I'm sitting at the kiddies table half the time do you know what I mean because yep. they are just so brilliant but I just love them so definitely the Jay Kristoff Nevernight trilogy yeah awesome with Bossy just out this month <laughs> what do we have to look forward to coming up in the months to come Okay, so my current work in progress, and I'm really quite behind on my schedule at the moment. So the next thing I'll have out after Bossy, 
it has a working title at the moment of Code Red, but I don't know whether that's going to stay. But generally what I save my <laughs> save my document as, as I'm typing is just a, a working title and it usually gets changed. But anyway, it is about a, well, he's a, in a band. So I don't want to say rock band because it's not really rock and it's not really a boy band because he's 25. <laughs> but anyway, he's a singer and a musician and his manager who has become pretty much the only person on the planet who we can trust. So so that's what I'm writing at the moment. It's a lot of fun. I see there's a musician involved and there's a workplace romance there because of the manager. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I and think the, you can sign me up for it already. <laughs> <laughs> they're traveling the world and and because they're actually on tour at the moment. So, but yes, the wheels are about to fall off. <laughs> I have no idea when that is likely to be released. I would have hoped for possibly May, but I I think it may even be later than that because I'm just so far behind on my, my writing schedule at the moment. I think at the end of 2020, I know I've spoken to a lot of writers and other authors who have just hit a wall. The creativity and the it's hard to be creative and to be productive with everything that's going on at the moment. Luckily enough, I could push through most of 2020 and I, I actually managed to write a fair bit and I got a fair few books ahead and then it came to about November and December and January and I could barely write anything. So so I'm a little bit behind but I'm back into writing again. So hopefully, hopefully these boys will, yeah, get their happy ever after and yeah. and everything will be right in the world. I am sure that it will be. You'll get you'll get it there. It's important to take care of yourself to, so that you can get them there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's taking a lot longer than what I had hoped. But anyway, it'll get there. So how can people keep up with you online to know when Code Red comes out, what its name might change to, and all the other news that will come out from you? So I have a Facebook readers group, which is where I am probably most active. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. I've avoided TikTok so far <laughs> because I don't have the time that I know I will lose to that if I were to sign up. At the moment, I'm trying to not be as present on social media while I'm trying to get this book written while still being active. It's quite a fine line to tread. We'll link to all of that, plus the books and everything we talked about in our show notes. NR, thank you so much for coming and talking. Oh, thank it you has for been such thank a delight. This episode's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. And don't forget, the show notes page also has links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. And you'll also find links to the vast selection of N.R. Walker books that are available over on Libro.fm, which includes Throwing Hearts, the Imago series, and many, many others. Purchasing audiobooks through Libro.fm is a great way to not only get your favorite audio, but to also support a local bookstore of your choice. All you need is the free Libro.fm app, and you'll be listening to audiobooks in no time. Listeners of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast can get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of one. You can get all the details for that at biggayfictionpodcast.com slash librofm. That's L-I-B-R-O-F-M. And thanks to NR for joining us. 
Her pantsing process just really fascinated me. I love hearing how pantsers build their stories. And honestly, she gave me goosebumps when she was talking about how that moment of discovery in Throwing Hearts where Clyde kind of found Donnie just standing in the pottery shop in the same way that she found him there as a character just manifesting in that moment. I just loved it. And I can't wait to dig into more in our Walker books now that I know even more about how she builds them. It's just fascinating to me. All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode. Coming up on Thursday in episode 297, it's book club time. We hope that you'll join us for our in-depth discussion of Throwing Hearts. I love this book. I say that every month in relation to the books that you choose for us to read for book club. But this one in particular was just... You know, we heard in our talk about nice guys doing nice things, and that's exactly what this book is, and it was just what I needed to kick off the spring. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our original theme music is composed by Daryl Banner. Thank you.